Well, if you would turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 13, we're going to be in verse 11. I encourage you to turn there. There's a lot there, and uh, it's going to be helpful to be able to read along with it. And last week, Jason uh, did a wonderful job and helped us to see the text of uh, the first 10 verses, and we saw there the need for endurance. Satan isn't going down without a fight. He's throwing everything at the people of God. And he's set up in this passage, he's set up this unholy trinity, and the beast from the sea seeks to level everything in its power against the people of God. Today, we're going to see the second beast that tries to give breath to the image of the first beast, And we begin to understand his antics. And John tells us to have wisdom. Last week, we looked at the need for endurance. Today, we're going to look at the need for wisdom. So what is wisdom? Really, if you look at it, wisdom is a a very biblical term. It's throughout all of Scripture. We see that the the beginning of wisdom is uh, the fear of the Lord. Wisdom is something that you and I are told to have again and again and again, to have wisdom. So what is it? What is wisdom? And if you look in this particular passage, the word literally means the application of knowledge, the application of knowledge to apply what you know. To have wisdom, you must have knowledge. To know what to do, you got to know information and you got to learn to put it into action, to put it into place. It's the working out of things we already know. It's not speculation, it's what we know. There's a lot of things in this passage, particular. There's a lot of speculation about. And we've set out from the very beginning to not fall into the trap of trying to speculate or decide, well, this must mean this, and this must mean that, and this is happening already, and those kind of things. We've avoided that because it's really not the point, the primary point of the text. The the point of the text is to have wisdom because all these things have happened, are happening, and will happen again. These things are things we need to have wisdom against now. So it's not speculation, it's what we know. There are a lot of things we can speculate about. Jesus' revealing of himself to John and the seven churches that were under his charge that we've been reading about in the book of Revelation. And for the most part, we've tried to avoid those and just dig down to to the text. We're going to continue to do that today. This passage has some things that bring lots of speculation, but we're not going to get lost in all that. We are going to try to give it a proper treatment based on what we know. In this passage, we have a beast from the earth that adds to the havoc already caused by the beast from the sea. And so let's read together this passage and then try to break it down and understand what we can walk away with wisdom for our lives today, to do something with wisdom and to follow John's call to have wisdom. Would you read with me in verse 
11. And if you are able, would you stand? We want to honor God's word in this way. If you're able physically to stand, if you stand in honor with, with me. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and compels the earth and those who live on it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. It also performs great signs and even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in front of people. It deceives those who live on the earth because of the signs that it is permitted to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who live on the earth to make an image of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. It was permitted to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast could both speak and cause whoever would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And it makes everyone small and rich, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on its right hand or on its forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, the beast's name, or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast because it is the number of a person. It's the number 666. You may be seated. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I think there are four things here that we see about wisdom and how wisdom responds to the things we see in this passage and really all around us. Number one, Wisdom worships God only and leaves everything else in its proper place. Wisdom worships God alone. We must recognize Satan's schemes. Jason helped us remind that. Uh, he was reminding that of the, us of that last week. Satan only wants one thing. And Satan's only wanted one thing from the very beginning. He wanted to be God, to be a God, to be worshipped, to usurp God's almighty authority and overtake him. That's all he's ever wanted to do. That's why he's setting up this unholy trinity. He's set up his own mimic kingdom, a counterfeit kingdom. And here he's set up a mimic of the Godhead, a, a mimic of the Trinity, a, a mimic of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The beast from the sea mimics the Son. We, look, we looked at him last week. The beast from the earth mimics the Holy Spirit, and Satan mimics, tries to mimic God the Father. The goal of the first beast, we talked about last week, the goal of the first beast is power and authority. He was trying to come in and wield the power and authority that was given to him by Satan, a false authority, a counterfeit authority, but his authority nonetheless. That was the goal of the first beast. Some indicate that this beast represents corrupt governmental structures put in place by Satan to control people. The second beast, the one who gives breath to the first beast, his image, represents corrupt religion, seeking to have people worship the false 
mimic deity Satan has formed. But wisdom sees this for what it is. Wisdom peers in to these things and recognizes it's just Satan's schemes. It's the same old thing he's been doing from the beginning, calling into question this God. It's like what Satan did in the garden with Adam and Eve, and uh, he said to them, um, did God really say that you shouldn't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? God's holding something back from you. He doesn't want the best for you. He's holding something back from you. He doesn't want you to be like him. They bought the lie of Satan, hook, line, and sinker, and people have been doing it again and again for all history, buying this idea that somehow Satan and his kingdom and his structures would be better than that of God Almighty. He is trying and has tried to usurp God's authority and try to be a God himself. Wisdom sees what it is and rejects it. And we see in the passage, even when it's forced upon someone, wisdom rejects it even when death is the result. It's hard for us to understand this. It's hard for us to hear this, but we have brothers and sisters across the world today that live out this nightmare that live in the threat of death because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And if, if all, you, all you need to do is just find it and read it, there's a, a great book I, I read as a teenager, impacted my life greatly, and it had a sequel. It was uh, by DC Talk, and it was the, uh, this book about martyrs, right? And I would encourage you to do that. It's these amazing stories of people living out their faith in the midst of death, but it happens every day. I'd encourage you to look at persecution.com or Google Voice of the Martyrs, and they tell stories like this daily of people across the world who are willing to lay it all the line because they believe Christ, they worship Christ, they have wisdom, and they don't fall into the trap that Satan has built. In this passage, this Second beast, this corrupt religious uh, beast, this corrupt religion performs signs and wonders for the corrupt power structures to try to give them some kind of platitude or some kind of idea that they are correct. And it's easy to look at this passage and think, oh, oh, those things will come, that might happen, but folks... This kind of stuff happens already. It's not as blatant maybe as this, but this kind of stuff is already happening. We, we must be careful. We must understand that when religion that gets in the bed with politics to the detriment of Christ's kingdom will trick people into placing their worship and allegiance in Satan's uh, kingdom and not the kingdom of Christ. When religion gets in the bed with politics it leads people astray, not to Christ, because Christ's kingdom is not of this world. Christ's kingdom is an eternal kingdom. Jesus' kingdom is the kingdom that is and is to come. It's not a kingdom on this earth. We must be careful. When, when religion tries to prop up governmental structures, power structures, 
uh, corrupt power structures. Then we're at a very dangerous place. I'm reminded, really, of... We've seen this before. It's not... It's nothing new. We see it even in the Bible. We see it in Jesus' day. You remember that Jesus was placed before Pilate. So you got the governmental structure, the, the, the corrupt government right there, right? You've got this, this uh, corrupt government that is over the people. It's uh, exerting power and dominance and authority over them. And here Jesus was brought to them. Who was he brought by? The corrupt religion of the day. Jews who'd been corrupted by the power that was around them, who had fallen into bed with politics. And when Pilate tried to put him off on them, they said, we don't worship anyone but Caesar. What? We don't serve anyone but Caesar, they said. What about the God Almighty that they, that they served and worshiped and taught about? You see, they had allowed the corrupt government to corrupt the religion, and when, that, uh, when they went in together, they brought about this moment that seemed like Satan was winning, seemed like demise, but Christ overcame. Christ died on the cross under this corrupt structure so that you and I would realize that his kingdom transcended this world he was not just merely a messiah to come and to rise up in that day and draw people with him and just become another religious leader of the day no he was king of kings and lord of lords and he came and died and conquered and he will come again to rule and reign in a kingdom that is already happening but not yet fully come. That's the kingdom that we look to. That's the kingdom that wisdom looks to and goes for. Not a kingdom on earth. Wisdom sees this for what it is. Satan's failing attempts to lead people astray. Nothing or no one deserves our allegiance except Christ Jesus. Second thing we see here is that wisdom looks to heaven and doesn't buy any of earth's theatrics. This passage indicates that the second beast uses signs and wonders to coax people into worshiping the beast from the sea. There's even a false resurrection. There's a, there is uh, this... This, uh, what we see, John helps us to see that this beast, uh, part of him is mortally wounded, fatally wounded, and then he comes back, and it's this, it's just Satan mimicking Jesus. It's just Satan doing a counterfeit situation. It's not really resurrection, but it's this mimic version of it. It's not resurrection, only resurrection like, it's a mimic a counterfeit, a ploy. It's theatrics. It's akin to what took place when Moses went before Pharaoh and he took his staff and he, uh, the Lord allowed him to perform signs and wonders in front of Pharaoh so that Pharaoh would let the people go. And if you'll remember, and, and the best, the thing that's in my memory is the cartoon Prince of Egypt. So maybe watch that, you know, again. And, and Moses turns that, uh, the Lord allows his staff to become a snake, right? 
And then all of a sudden you see in the cartoon, uh, but it helps you kind of vividly see what happens in the actual text. These uh, soothsayers, these magicians, these Egyptian, you know, uh, priest-like holy men did the same thing and made staffs or sticks become snakes. But if you read the story, the snake that Moses made devours the others. It's theatrics. It's a ploy. It's this old, it's, it's the same old tricks Satan's been using all along. And people's minds are clouded. And in the passage we see, they fall for it again. Hook, line, and sinker. Wisdom must not pay attention to the theatrics performed on earth. Wisdom must look to heaven. Wisdom must look to Jesus. Wisdom must look to Christ. Wisdom must look to truth. Wisdom must hear from God Almighty. We must look to Jesus and ignore the falsities put before us. Friends, we must be cautious of this ourselves even now. This is not just something we must be cautious for in the future. This is something we must be cautious for now. If you recall, as we have been studying this passage, this book of the Bible, we realized that it was originally wrote, written as a letter to seven churches. And in chapter 2, let's just remind ourselves of some of the things that Jesus warns these churches about. If you remember in chapter 2, Jesus addresses false religion in the church. He addresses this false religion in the body of Christ. And so we must be cautious. This is what Daryl Johnson, the, the writer of Discipleship on the Edge, this is how he describes it. What is being revealed in Revelation 13, 11 through 18 is that religion can be the enemy of discipleship. For John, the problem is not just that there is a false prophet on the loose. The concern is that the false prophet operates in the church. In 2.2, Jesus' message to the church in Ephesus, we hear of false apostles among you. In 2.14-15, Jesus' message to the church of Pergamum, we hear of teachings of Balaam and the Nicolaitans. In 2.20-24, Jesus' message to the church of Thyatira, we hear of the prophetess Jezebel. And one common denominator to all of those things that, that John hears about is the theology of compromise. You see, this beast, this unholy trinity, Satan and his ploys and his tactics would love for the church to become powerless because they no longer look to Jesus Christ, but they look to the world. And they listen to the wisdom of the world, the so-called wisdom of the world, rather than the wisdom of Scripture, rather than the wisdom of heaven. And churches left and right in our nation, this isn't somewhere else, this isn't across the pond, it's not in England, it's not in Europe, this is here. There are churches every day compromising the truth of God's Word. They've gone to bed with this false religion, it seeped its way into the church. This idea that you must compromise, you must be like the world to win the world. And friends, we have to love the world. We have to love the people in the world because they're made in the image of God. No matter what they do, 
No matter the sin that they possess, no matter what's in their life, they, they have the image of God. And because they have the image of God, they deserve our love. They deserve our uh, willingness to go to them. But we must not compromise. We must help them to see that Christ wants to save them from their ways. Forgive them and change them, not to leave them the way they are. We can't compromise to what the world thinks we ought to do. We must love. That is a commandment of Scripture. But as we are loving, just like we wouldn't want anyone, we wouldn't allow our child, we love our child so much, we wouldn't allow them to just go willy-nilly, touch a hot stove, walk into oncoming traffic. We, just, we wouldn't do that. In the same way, we can't allow people because we love them. We can't allow people to just walk on their own into the oncoming traffic of the kingdom of Satan. Now, they may choose to do that, and that's up to them, but at least we can call. Don't go that way. It's dangerous. It'll lead to death. It'll lead to eternal separation from God. We can cry that out because we love people. We want them to see the truth of God's word, and we cannot, cannot compromise. There's a desire by Satan to infiltrate the church with compromise. Compromising scriptural truth and allowing the agenda of the world to infiltrate the church. If we look to heaven, we seek truth, we will not compromise. The third thing that we see, wisdom realizes that Satan's kingdom is built to kill and enslave. See, that's the thing. Satan would love for us just to believe he's the best way it's the way of uh, safety. You don't have to go tell people about Jesus. Just live your life. You don't have to go into the world and help people to see their need for a Savior. Just let them live their life. You live your life. He wants us just to take it easy and feel like we're good. But the only thing he might can try and promise us is an easy life here on earth. But he is uh, setting this kingdom up not to give us comfort, to come in and strike us when we aren't looking. To come in and knock us out and enslave us and at worst, kill us. We see it in the passage. We see that in this passage when we see that the beast was permitted to, to do these things and it was permitted to give breath to the image of the beast. And what we see in verse 15, that who would ever worship the image of the beast would be killed, that he would have the power to do that. We come to this moment of the authority that the beast has in this moment to kill anyone who doesn't worship the beast of the sea, who doesn't fall into the trap, death and or enslavement awaits those that have fallen into this moment because Satan has built this thing to kill and that's why it's imperative that we must not compromise. In this passage, everyone wants to know about this mark that is given. What is it? You know, is it a, a tattoo, a chip? Is it a physical mark? Is it a 
you know, figurative mark? Is it, what, what is this thing? What we must realize, again, the goal is not to wade into all the speculation, but we must understand is that the main objective of the mark is to enslave people to Satan and his kingdom so that they, can't, they don't have a choice but to worship him. They don't have a choice but to depend on him. They don't have a choice but to follow him and follow him to his demise. You've heard misery loves company. Satan's taking a lot of people with him because he knows he's destined for eternal punishment, and that's what he's trying to do, enslave people, take them into his, uh, and help them to identify with his ideas and lead them ultimately to death. But we do have a choice. You do have a choice. Death is not the end for those who are in Christ. Death is not the final place for you and I. You see, Satan can threaten, hey, you need a comfortable life. Take this identity and you can buy whatever you want. You can live your life as comfortably as you want. I'll give all these things to you. When at the end of the day, the goal for him is to kill us. But death is not the end. Christ has come. He says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Have it abundantly. Jesus Christ gives life. Satan promises nothing but death. We do have a choice. Death is not the end for those in Christ. I remember, I'm reminded of, of one of my favorite uh, stories uh, in seminary was um, ch- um, charged with one, one assignment to look at the story of someone who uh, was a missionary and then ultimately a martyr for the faith. And I chose uh, the five men that went to the uh, Waldani tribe in Ecuador, an unreached tribe. And you've probably heard the name Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott was one of the five men. I focus mostly on Nate Saint and, uh, uh, in my particular project, but you, you learn about all these guys. And if you haven't heard of Jim Elliott, perhaps you've heard of his wife who lived his legacy out for him. Her name is Elizabeth Elliott and wrote uh, proficiently about his life and their life together before all of this. And these five men were willing to give it all. They had all on the line to reach these people for the kingdom of God to help people who who were killing each other who were destined for hell without Christ they were willing to go in there even though they knew that their lives were at stake and they ultimately paid the price all five men the moment that they made contact after years and years of trying to do that the moment they made contact with them died at the end of the spear the terrible it's a hard story it's 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 a compelling story but it's it's hard the thing that's compelling about these men is that they knew that death was a possibility and they went anyway in this uh, there's a movie about it called uh end of the spear and i would encourage you to watch it the player uh the character who played nate saint i don't know if this is just you know cinematic use of this but his son is saying, hey, dad, are you going to take a gun with you? Because the, the boy knew that his dad's life was on the line. You're going to take a gun so that you can defend yourself. And he said, son, in the movie, 
looks at him and he says, son, this, these people don't know Jesus, but I do. I know where I'm going when I die. So I'm not taking a gun. So I'm not going to shoot them because they don't know Jesus. And Jim Elliott, this is what he said far, far before he ever went through this moment. And this is, I think, the way that you and I should live our lives. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. You see, death is not the end for us. We could lose it all today. We could die today, but if we have Christ, we will live forever. So Christ promises life. Satan only brings death. There's more to life than life itself. That means today we must see it all for what it is. Satan is just trying to trap people. Maybe you don't know Jesus Christ today. I've got one more point, but I don't want to take a moment without describing to you that you can have hope. You don't have to have the false hope that Satan tries to put into our lives that we can live a good life and live it now and live it for ourselves and live it for him. You can know life eternal through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, he who knew no sin became sin for you, for me. And he died, but he didn't stay dead. On the third day, he rose again. He conquered death. He conquered hell. He conquered the grave so that you, when you place your trust in him, would be identified with him and that in his identity now, you in Christ would have died on the cross. You would have been buried in the grave and would have rose again in him. And he has accomplished that for you, friends. Today, place your trust in Jesus. Ask him to forgive you of your sins and you will have life eternal as well. And if you'd love to do that, I'd love to share with you. I'll be out in the back. I'd love to share with you afterwards. Come and see me. I'd love to help you know how to trust Jesus Christ as Savior. And that's the wise thing to do because our last point is that wisdom seeks identification in Jesus Christ. The mark, 666, it's just another mimic. It's just another counterfeit that Satan is trying to put out to make himself like his own God. If you'll remember that while we were in chapter 7 of the book of Revelation, in that chapter we see a scene in heaven where all this chaos is being held back while those belonging to Jesus can be sealed, and it says that they would be sealed on their foreheads, and it's the name of Christ. In this passage, it's not literally J-E-S-U-S placed on your forehead or my forehead. The moment you trusted Jesus Christ with you, this is a biblical term to help you understand that the character of Christ is now on you. And you and I, as, the, as Paul tells us, that when we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit seals you and I. He seals us. Our identity is in, in Him. Our identity is in Christ. Our char His, Christ's character now sits and rests upon you and I. The moment we trust Jesus Christ, as our Savior. What Satan is trying to do is to try to put his character on his people, put his character on the people that 
He's forcing to follow him. Put his character on the people that he marks with these marks. So if you are in Christ and you have been sealed, you cannot receive the character of Satan. You cannot receive the mark of Satan. What Satan is seeking to do is to create his own sealing in a way of saying who is his and who belongs to him. And his, he's trying to place his character on the souls of the people that follow him. But it's just a mimic. It's a counterfeit. Satan cannot mark those who are already sealed with Jesus' mark. We must identify with Christ. It's the only hope that people have. It's the only hope that people have in our community. Listen, why are we focusing on reaching out this year? Why are we making signs and telling you to put them in your yard? Why are we going to invite you to pray for specific people that don't need Jesus Christ in your life in the coming weeks? Why are we emphasizing this? Why are we pushing that out? Because, friends, the only hope the world out there has the only hope your neighbor has, your loved one has, your friend has, your coworker has, the only hope that your child has is that they be found in Jesus Christ at the end of their lives. The only hope that they have is that they would be identified with Christ because of his death, burial, resurrection. It's the only hope that they have that they would be marked with his name, with his character, and sealed by the Holy Spirit. It's the only hope that they have. And the reason you and I still have breath in our lungs is so that we can tell them. That's why we are focusing on these things. That's why we are trying to help people to come to find a hope in Jesus Christ for salvation. The three sixes is even significant because six is one less than seven. Seven is the number of perfection. Six is incomplete. The fact that there are three, the, th the word, the letter three, or the number three, the number three represents completeness. So really, anyone marked with this mark, 666, is completely incomplete. Completely incomplete. But you and I are marked with Christ, who is perfectly complete. Allow me to pray. God, help us to be found in you, Lord Jesus. Help us to have wisdom today, Lord. Not that we would just know these things, but that we would apply them. That you would apply this truth to our hearts today, Lord. That today, somebody who walked in this room this morning is not sure of their being sealed by your Holy Spirit today, Lord, would you take all questions out of their mind and heart, Lord? Would you save them today? Would you mark them today, seal them today? Would you put your character on them? Would you help them, Lord, to apply the wisdom of knowledge that they have, that Jesus Christ is the only hope we have? And God, would you help all of us to see how amazing it is that we can be counted 
in those who are sealed by you. And would you help us to go wherever we can go, to tell whomever we can tell that their only hope is in you, that they must not heed and fall into the trap that Satan has built all around them. Help us, Lord, to reach in and help people to find you. That we would put all things aside and that we'd worship you today, Lord, because you're worthy. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? We're going to sing in just a moment. God is moving in your heart and working in your heart right now. I'd love to share with you. Will you come? Would you just come? Now realize you may not want to come up here. That's, that's fine. Come see me afterwards. I'll stay as long as I have to. I don't have to go canvassing today, so I'll stay as long as I have to to talk with you and, te- and share with you and point you to Jesus and help you to see the truth of this word. Would you come and make that moment sure today? And the rest of us, I pray that we would just be energized and ignited in our passion to help others to find Christ. You respond today however he's led you to do that in this moment. Let's sing.